at Eastwind Pentecostal Church. Uh, we are joined with our very own uh, Pastor David Myers and uh, Bishop Myers. And we are so glad to have special guests, Pastor Jaron Carney and Bishop James Carney uh, from Columbia, Mississippi, Pastor and Bishop of Woodlawn Church. And we are so thankful to have you guys here today. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here and humbled by the invitation to be on here with these great men and, and to be here with my dad, Bishop Carney. And uh, just uh, hope we can hope we can say something tonight to help somebody. Amen. And then, of course, uh, Bishop Myers and Pastor Myers need no introduction. But we are so thankful to have a generational, well, a vast generational difference of leadership here today. And it's going to be a gr- very great e-chat talking about passing the mantle and what it means to uh, transition into leadership. And we are so thankful uh, for everyone that's here today and that is watching. And I want to go ahead and get right into this and direct our first question to Bishop Carney. Um, Bishop Carney, as you pastored, um, how did you present the apostolic truth to the generation that was coming behind you to make them want to pick up the mantle and run with it? What were some of the strategies that you used to make a young man excited about running with the apostolic truth? Well, Brother Dylan, um, my upbringing was really kind of interesting. I had an old dad that was not an educated man, but got converted in his 30s. And the the revelation of truth that he received uh, as a non-Pentecostal, the Carney family was was not church-going people. And my dad had a tremendous conversion, which I had not discovered America at the time. I came along later. And so I uh, was born and raised in the apostolic faith. And uh, just watching my dad live a life, uh, yes, eighth-grade education, but... I saw him uh, mentoring young men. I was not really aware of what he was doing two years later, but I saw dad take young men uh, with him uh, back many years ago, camp meetings, conferences. I didn't know what he was doing, but uh, he was mentoring young men to believe this truth apostolic message and uh, uh, years later uh, witnessed great men of God coming out from dad uh, the likes of uh, Jerry Jones the late G.R. Travis Jerry Dillon Larry Hoyt Larry just a list of young men Uh, I was not in ministry Uh, I was a business person but Watching my dad and what he did, uh, he didn't necessarily, it was not his preaching ability or teaching ability, but he lived the life and he loved young men, young men that needed a pulpit. They could come to Stateline Church and they could get, they could get the opportunity to preach. 
And uh, I just watched him through his entire life, how that he not only believed this message, but he lived this message. And his love for truth was so passionate. And, and by that, these young men grabbed a hold of his, his vision, his zeal, his desire. And so uh, he, you know, he just showed them how to live the life and the prayer life, as well as studying the word of God. And so as I came into the ministry at the age of 39, I could reflect back on my dad and the impact that he made in so many lives. And uh, he, one thing he did, he loved young preachers. And I tried to pattern my life after him. And uh, even though I was 39 and just went into the ministry, I, I was blessed to be able to uh, be a part of a lot of young men's life coming up. Uh, in their ministry, and I, I tried to pattern my ministry a lot after my dad, seeing how successful he was. And so, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, I think, loving guys, living the life before them, and then as they see your success as ministry uh, in the apostolic movement, they have a desire to be successful. Everybody wants to be successful. And so when they see that happening, uh, I certainly believe it certainly empowers them to become a part of that ministry and knows, hey, I can do this too. I can be successful. And, you know, the word of God is it's, it's unchanging. And uh, thank God that we have this great revelation. So uh, I, would, I would say, uh, you know, uh, the young man that came after me, uh, I, I hope and pray it was the life that I live and the love that I shared towards them and wanting them to be successful. That's so great, Bishop Carney. You know, there's a, an old saying, and I'll refer to this a little bit later, some things can't be taught, they have to be caught. Uh, I believe you referenced that just a few days ago. And yeah. I think that's what you were just really talking about is that when you live it in such a manner, um, you you catch it and it becomes a part of who you are. And um, as you can see, we had to make a, a brief audible. Bishop Myers was having a few technical difficulties. So I'm joined and, and I, I feel blessed to have him next to me right now. So I am so glad to have Bishop Myers with me. And, you know, I think that that, that, that question that we asked you in the beginning would actually tether very greatly into what Bishop Carney was just talking about. And that is, what are things that you have done to equip the next generation to pick up this mantle and run with it? I remember years ago uh, on that, uh, Dylan, that uh, we used to teach doctrine. Young people would come into church or any new convert would come into church. And we'd teach them on doctrine, what we believed. And, you know, Jesus' name, baptism, repentance, and the filling of the Holy Ghost and holiness and things like that. But I came to the realization that what they first needed to know was how to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So I would begin then to teach, and I set classes up for this manner, and begin to teach them uh, to learn how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, and because of that, then the young people begin to develop a, 
They begin to develop a prayer life. They begin to develop a life where the Jesus became very personal to them. Yes, sir. This was a very important thing. And then as time went along, then we shifted over and then started teaching the doctrine to follow up. But the number one primary thing was that they would have that relationship. And also that the word of God would be very important in their lives. Yes, sir. The word of God, you cannot go wrong on. Yes, sir. Uh, if the Lord made heaven and earth with the word, then we can take the word and we can use it. We can trust it. We can believe in it. The Lord said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so believe the word, trust in the word, uh, hold fast to the word. And if we will do that, God will make us strong because in the word is the answer. And I honestly believe this with all of my heart, that in the word of God, you can find the answer for practically everything in life. I was saved at the age 17. I'm now in my 80s. And I can tell you for a fact that I have found answers in the word of God over and over and over again. It has mm. never failed me. Mm. So I think that if we really understand that how powerful the word of God is and teach our young people to trust the word, to believe the word, just read the word, to study the word, and to dig deep into the word of God, they'll always grow in grace and the knowledge and the, and the truth of God. Amen. And that's so true. You know, David said, it's, it's my light. It's my path. It's what guides me. Yes. And, um, you know, I think every young man out there, I think we're all trying to find our way and where we're trying to go through life and how to try to get through life. I think David made it pretty simple. If you yes. have the word, it'll illuminate a path for you. Yes. And, you know, um, pastor Myers, this, this makes me, you know, want to ask you a question here and Bishop Myers and, and Bishop Carney, they, they were both referencing some, some amazing things and how they reached um, the next generation. Uh, this millennial age that I am a part of is, is different. Um, we, we have some strengths and we definitely have some weaknesses. Um, so what are some of the things, Pastor Myers, that you are doing to engage and equip my generation, this, this millennial generation, um, this, this next generation to pick this mantle up and to say, I want to fall in love with this and carry this on forward. That's, it's a great question, uh, brother Dylan. And I think that there are two things that are necessary, uh, that both, uh, uh, pastor, uh, Jaron and I, uh, both had modeled for us and our fathers, and that is that I think for the older generation, I think there's a certain amount of unselfishness that's required, and there's a certain amount of trust that's required. When I look at the Bible and I see how that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I see that really he is a God that wants to be transgenerational. In other words, this is not something that's just good for one generation, but obviously it goes down to the others. And of course, Abraham was a man who was called out. And then Isaac had to find his own identity, and Abraham had to give him space to be able to find his own identity. And then, of course, Isaac had those twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, I kind of relate to uh, Isaac, not because I have twin sons, <laughs> but because in some ways I see myself as a middleman. You know, I have a father that preached righteousness, and, and I have two sons, and I want to I wanna hand down to them uh, what was given to me. But, you know, one of the interesting things about that parallel is that the Bible says that Isaac went and dug again the wells of his father. And what's interesting to me about that is the Philistines, who were always fighting, of course, uh, the children of Israel, 
Israel, they went and they clogged up all those wells uh, that Abraham had dug with dirt. And of course, they needed those wells for livestock and to be able to sustain their families and servants and whatnot. And so Isaac had to make a choice. Do I go and dig my own wells or do I dig all the dirt out and I get those wells working that Abraham, my father, had? And the Bible says that Isaac went and dug again in those wells of his father. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that because I think it's important to say, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can pass down to the next generation what was given to us. And I think that's really important. It's important for us to say, yes, times have changed. And yes, the millennial generation is different than the World War II generation. But you know what? This gospel is the same and it works for every generation. And though we may change our methods, we don't ever have to change our message. And the same well that worked for my father is the same well that's going to work for my sons. And so I have to trust them. They may do it differently than me. I have to give them space and I have to give them an opportunity. And I have to say, you know what? They may take this truth, this well of living water, and they may use it and disperse it differently than I did or differently than, than my father did. But if I, if I trust them to say, this is the well, this is the source of strength. Now you take that and you find a way to reach your generation with it. I think that's a way that we're able to model the next generation and say, we believe in you, we trust you, and this is the well that you need that will satisfy the hunger and the thirst for your generation, just like it did my generation and my father's generation. Wow, that's so great. And, you know, one of the things that you're talking about is, is you have the relationship as father and son physically. But what I want to relay, and I think some people need to see, is that, um, that there are spiritual father and spiritual sons that need mm -hmm. to take what you're saying and apply this. This isn't just being applied because you're, you know, Bishop Meyer's son and, and Pastor Jaron, you are Bishop Carney's son. But these are things that we need to be applying to our lives, uh, to our spiritual fathers, our pastors and our coverings. And um, that, that leads me into my next question for Bishop Carney and Pastor Jaron. I would like for you uh, to tether off of this, if you would, and, and kind of um, support. Uh, Bishop, you've raised two sons who are being used by God mightily, both pastors and doing great things for the kingdom. What would you say to a parent out there that's trying to instill values into their children to keep the faith and carry this on? Uh, well, let me begin by saying uh, again, and I'm reflecting back on my upbringing. Uh, my dad had six children. They were six of us. Uh, the two oldest were sons and three daughters. And then an accident happened and I came along. And, uh, but uh, I never remembered my dad uh, trying to influence me into the ministry. I know there were, I'm sure there was certainly a, a desire for that to happen. Uh, there he is with three boys, none of them in the ministry, all in the church, all serving God, living for God, making an impact. But uh, uh, my dad just loved us and who we were, and we watched his life. 
I his life so dedicated and committed to this truth. And uh, I will never forget uh, when God dealt with me about ministry. And uh, I went to my dad and told him, I was 38 years old. I said, Dad, I feel my call to the ministry. I got to leave the Howard construction industry. And uh, I feel like God's called me to preach. And for the first time, he said this. He said, I knew this 10 years ago. But I never did tell you. I've been waiting for you to tell me 10 years God had called you into the ministry. But uh, he never tried to force that. While he was mentoring so many young men that came out from under him, he let me be what I felt like, you know, God's calling in my life. And so, again, I tried to pattern my life uh, as best as I could to my two boys. I've never tried to talk him into going into ministry, which most of you know, Jay was a late in life bloomer as well for his pulpit ministry. But I knew the hand of God was upon him. And, uh, and then uh, Jaron, my son, uh, he became a part of my ministry at a much younger age, but you know, he has aspiration. He was going to be a business person as well, but uh, he might can answer this better than me, but, I try not, I try not ever to try to influence my boys into taking up the mantle. I want it to be God called, God ordained. Yes, I wanted to see it happen, but that was just my de- private devotion between me and the Lord. And, and I am so thankful that God gave me two sons that he has certainly put his hand of anointing upon them. And, uh, I, I couldn't say enough how thankful I am to have these two guys a part of my life, a part of my ministry. But I would say uh, to, to pastors, they have sons, daughters, just, just be an example of true Christianity, loving God, loving the word and putting those kids in the hands of God and let the will of God be wrought in their life. Uh, I have tried to see pastors call their sons into the ministry, and uh, but it, 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 it's a calling that only comes from God. And just just live the life before them and pray that the will of God can be done in their life. Amen. That is so good, Bishop Carney. Yes. And uh, Pastor Jaron, a few days ago, you and I had the opportunity to talk, and when we were talking you made reference about balance in, in family, in ministry. And you made a great point about it not necessarily being balanced, but it's always fair. Would you elaborate on that for us here tonight? Yeah, Dylan, thank you for, for bringing that up. It's a great, great point for ministry and, and ministry families. Uh, I wish I could take credit for it, uh, but my good friend, Brother Aaron Soto, he kind of he taught this to me and to our leadership team and, and he's given me permission to, to share it. Um, but my dad exampled this. I just never knew, you know, what he was doing. And this kind of puts, you know, feet on, on this mission. But, you know, in ministry, we try to be balanced. You know, that that's the word, I think, of the day, you know, to, to be balanced. Uh, meaning that we, we balance our time of ministry and family. And as... 
every one of us know that that is almost impossible in the ministry world because, you know, we get calls all hours of the day, you know, uh, we're either marrying, burying or birthday parties. That, that's, that's kind of how I, how I explain it. And it, it just kind of seems, you know, to be what it is. And so I never really understood, you know, I, I heard my dad talk about, you know, we have to take vacations to, to get away. And I, I didn't understand that. You know, I know he would take us on a family vacation every year and he and my mom would go on a vacation. But uh, now that I'm in ministry and I have three kids of my own, it is very apparent to me how necessary it is to to go away to spend quality time may not be quantity, but quality time with my kids one-on-one. And so we let our kids know, like, no, this is not balanced because your dad put in 80 hours last week. But while it's not balanced, we're going to make it fair. And we're going to go spend two or three days together somewhere that it can be quality. And, uh, And then we make it known, like, it's they get to go to general conference. They get to go to youth congress. You know, those things make it fair. It's not balanced. But when they have an understanding of that, it doesn't let them resent, you know, the time and ministry that we have to put in as ministry families. And so I hope that helps someone. Like, it's probably not going to be balanced ministry families, but you can make it fair. And as a result of that, your kids will not resent the position that you're in. And, you know, to the viewers that, that are watching here, and maybe they're not necessarily in ministry, they can apply that, in my opinion, to their to their lives as well. You know, they work, they spend a lot of time, and it may not always be balanced, but they can make it fair going throughout life with their children, with their families. And I think that that's a very great point. Um, and this next question I want to like, I'd like to direct to, to Bishop Myers. You know, we were just talking about making it, it fair Pastor Jaron, and, and, and with your kids and with those things. And I kind of wanted to bring that into back into ministry as far as investing into a young man, investing into a young lady in ministry, Bishop Myers. What are three things that a young man needs? And what are three things does the, uh, an elderly man need to pass the torch on, if that makes sense? What are, what are three things that I need as a young man and what are three things that you're going to pass the torch on? All right, let me say this. That three things that the young man needs to, to establish in his life. He needs to establish, if he's going to be a pastor, you know, we're assuming now you're going to pass the mantle to, to a young man to be the next pastor. Uh, he needs to have preaching experience. So he needs an opportunity to, to, to get out and preach and to, uh, to preach the word of God. Uh, he needs to be like in youth services. He needs to uh, be in, you know, get into invitations to maybe to another church in, in his own church and so forth. And then he also needs to uh, learn what it is to win souls. Mm. One of the greatest things you can do is to, for a young man to learn to win souls. And if young people will learn to do that, they will become great soul winners to the Lord. Mm. Teaching home Bible studies you know, establishing a home Bible study class for teachers and teaching them how to teach a home Bible study. I think young people are looking for something they can do and a way that they can reach their world. And if they will begin to do that, they will become very valuable 
and they will become very, uh, very involved in the work of God, and God will bless them. And whenever you break the bread of life, you become a partaker of the bread of life. Mm. And when you are involved with the word, you become partaker of the word. And the word, praise the Lord, makes you stronger and greater yourself in your walk with God and as you walk with the Lord. So I think just having these experiences and getting into that position where that you can pass the mantle eventually on to the next generation. Now, uh, my own son, I recognized that he had a call in the ministry early on, and uh, he had, you know, temptations like all young people go follow this career, the, the, the legal, you know, the legal career, be a lawyer. And he had a law degree and he had that temptation. And, and uh, he, he, he stood solid and walked with God and chose to, to preach the gospel and all these kind of things. And, and in doing all those kind of things, he established himself that he loved God more than he loved the world. Mm-hmm. And this is a very important thing. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him and so forth. And so I think a young person needs to learn that and, and to do that. And then he needs to be brought into uh, decision-making sometimes about, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think if we did this? This is a good thing to ask young people. Would you like to do this? How do you believe about this? How would not believe, but how do you feel about this? You know, some kind of a, a program or activity. I remember one time my son, my son uh, he was, I think, my a co-pastor, assistant pastor along in there someplace. And he came to me and said, Dad, let's try so-and-so. And I said, David, it's not going to work. You know, I've already tried it. He said, but I'd like to just try it. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, nobody's going to lose their soul over it. And it's not going to cost any money or big fortune or anything to do it. I'm just going to let him try it, and he'll find out himself it doesn't work, you know. <laughs> He went out and did wonders with it, and it surprised me. And I said, he, he did wonders with it. And when he got all through, he came back to me and said, Dad, you were right. It didn't work like I thought it would work. <laughs> so I, I learned I learned that it would work much better than what I thought it would work. And he learned that maybe the old man was right in a little bit himself, you know. And so along the way that we've exercised these kind of things, you know, and I have learned I've learned, and this is true with all young people, to pass things along to them, pass uh, the power to engage, the power to do, the power to be involved, pass these things, ideas that they may have. I don't always agree with the ideas. I remember, I remember he and I went to Alaska to preach a conference up there. And while we were there preaching this conference, we were invited to another church in there, that one of our Pentecostal churches up there, uh, at a fellowship meeting that was a missionary rally. And we came away from that meeting, and he said, Dad, let's go home and double our missions offering. And I said, double it? I mean, you know, I thought we were giving pretty good admission. We were stretching ourselves, you know. He said, let's double our offering. I thought a little bit, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to go with this thing and see what happens. (laughs) And so we did. I said, do it. Let's do it. We came home. I never told him back of my head, I don't know what we're going to do whenever it it won't work. (laughs) We started, we doubled our missionary offerings and started giving more admissions. And the offerings started coming in. Wow. And the church began to grow financially. And we began to be blessed in, in a way like that. 
And I said, dear Lord, I'm learning a lot of things. Here's a younger generation coming along. I'm <laughs> teaching him, but he's teaching me. Wow. So I just want to tell you here today, this young generation has got something inside of it. Mm-hmm. And we older ministers and older people, older saints of God, need to let them exercise these things in the fear of God. Mm-hmm. When they got some ideas, they've got faith. You know, with me, don't go too far out there. You don't have enough time to get back if you don't make it. The young people says, we got the time. Let's just do it. Let's try it. <laughs> and so this is the beautiful thing about young people taking the helm and going forward with it. I love it. Praise God. Wow, that's so great. <laughs> and, you know, Pastor Myers, he was talking a little bit about, um, you know, you having uh, an occupation or a career outside of ministry, and you were a very successful lawyer. You still practice. Um, so th- this kind of leads me into this question. What would you say to the person that is wanting to enter into ministry, feeling the pull of ministry, but also has a very established career in their life and is trying to juggle and figure out what to do? What advice could you give them? Well, I think um, yeah, I think it's different, you know, for everyone. On Bishop Carney, uh, he talked a little bit about the importance of uh, knowing that your call is from the Lord and and not just that it's what's convenient or it's the, you know, family business being passed down. I mean, you have to know for yourself that this is what God's calling me to do. Um, for me, you know, when I was uh, in high school, um, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. And, and like Bishop Carney was saying, my, my dad never uh, tried to force the ministry on me. And to be quite frank, I really didn't want to go into the ministry because I wanted to be my own person and, I wanted to do my own thing. And I thought about, you know, I was very interested in flying and being a pilot and I was interested in law. And, but there was a, a elderly man that came by and preached a message about two sons that he had one that became a lawyer, one that became a preacher. And he compared their lives. I was about 16, 17 years old. And I felt like that I should give God uh, the first shot. So I committed to go uh, to Bible school for one year. And while I was there, Uh, I got anointed when we were uh, practicing for our graduation drama and I was playing Noah. And in the play, I had to come out and, you know, preach righteousness and everybody was, you know, making fun of me and so forth. And that was part of the play. But in the middle of the practice, I got anointed. We ended up having a two hour prayer meeting. And even some of my buddies that are in full-time ministry now, we'll all, get together and we'll talk about that, that Saturday night of that drama practice. And for me, you know, it, it, it changed my life. So I, I went into the ministry evangelizing and, and, uh, went back to work with my father and continued my education. And, uh, I really, I really wanted to go uh, to law school, not necessarily to start a different career, but to benefit the kingdom of God. And uh, that's really what my goal was. So I started law school. I was already a youth president uh, in Florida. I had been. I was ordained minister. I was co-pastoring. So I started going to law school at night. But through the course of that, I had a lot of, you know, doors that were opened. And I started working with Liberty Council doing, you know, religious civil liberties law. And we were, you know, going all over the place. We had 90 cases in litigation. And I really saw that as, as part of my ministry. But for me personally, it got to the point where the church was growing, uh, the legal side of it was growing, 
And I really felt like, you know, you can do a lot of things, but not feel like you're doing any of them very well. So I started really seeking the Lord and went on a fast. And the Lord opened up uh, Isaiah 58 to me. And I started reading Isaiah 58. And in that, uh, he talks about a fast that the children of Israel go on, but it's not the fast that he's called them to. And in the middle of this, he says, um, you, you've asked of me the ordinances of justice. He uses the word justice. And then two verses later, he says, ye fast for strife and debate. Well, a lot of what we did was debate and strife. <laughs> we were going up against the American Civil Liberties Union. And, man, they would hire people to call our room all night long the night before oral arguments. And uh, we'd have to check in under, you know, different names. And, and I mean, it was it was a lot of strife, but we felt like we were doing what God had called us to do because we were, we were fighting for churches and ministries, but indeed it had to do with the ordinances of justice. So I read this chapter and I feel like the Lord is saying, you're fasting for the wrong thing. So I read a few more verses and he says, is not this the fast that I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke. When I read that, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was the Lord saying, you're fasting for the wrong thing. You need to fast for these this the chains of sin to be broken. This is ultimately what saves a person. And this is what I've called you to do. When I read that, I knew that it was my responsibility. Not Maybe for somebody else it would be different. But for me, and I sat down with my friend Matt Staver, and I said, Matt, here's where I'm at. And we were good friends. We're still good friends. And uh, he said, I totally understand. He was an ordained minister as well as an attorney. And for me, it was just getting a word from God that I knew the Lord was saying, if you do this, this is what I've called you to do. And what's so neat about God? You know, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. When I was in high school, I didn't know if I wanted to be an attorney, a pilot, or a preacher. And by putting the Lord first, the Lord's allowed me to go and, and uh, pursue law and, and enjoy some incredible things in that field. I was able to go and get my pilot's license. And for 10 years, I flew up and down the Amazon with Benny DeMerchant and was a part of that. And it's just the goodness of God where he says, you know what? I will open my hand and satisfy the desire of every living creature. If you put God first, and maybe somebody's watching or listening right now. And let me tell you this. If you will put the things of God first, I'm going to tell you something. God will honor you because he'll not only bless that, but he'll also bless the desires that are in your heart. And I can honestly say by putting the Lord first, he doesn't ostracize you or isolate you from the other things you love to do. He causes, he's such a good God. He finds a way to bless you in the things that you love to do because you value the things of God more than anything else. It's just the kind of God we serve. So I would say, put God first and watch how God will bless not only that, but everything that flows from that. Wow, that is so good. You know, we used to have a a saying that my family would always say, we used to say, if, if we make God's business our business, he'll make his business, it'll make our business his business. And it's just the simple fact that when you put him first and you seek him first, all these things shall be added unto you.
And really that leads me into, into my next question for Pastor Jaron. When you see a, a young man in your church or a young lady in your church who is hungry for ministry above all else, they, they, they've made it very clear this is what they want to do. They, they want to, it's not necessarily pulpit, it's not necessarily platform, but they want to serve the Lord in ministry. What is, are things that you do to cultivate their calling and, and their desire? It's a great question, Dylan. And, and thankfully, we have a, a wonderful crop of those young men and women in our church today. And I, I don't want to single out just men. We've got some young ladies that are powerful. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that, that I try to do as pastor is to, and it, this has already been stated, but is to create an opportunity for them to serve. Like they, you know, if you just put them on the bench, that, you know, that talent is never going to be materialized uh, or realized. And, uh, and so we create opportunities in ministry, maybe underneath our pastoral team, uh, serving you know, underneath one of our pastors or are leading a different ministry. Uh, we give them opportunities to serve, you know, every service, you know, in some capacity or another. Um, we started Purpose Institute here at our church. And, you know, I push all of our young men and ladies that have a desire for ministry. And we let them know up front, this may not be pulpit ministry, but if you're going to serve and you want to be in ministry, then you have to know the word. And Purpose Institute is an amazing opportunity, even for working men and women and, and, and young people that are going to college or, you know, in their last few years of high school uh, to get them equipped with the word, you know, to be able to serve. And so I, I think that's the two most important things is to create opportunities. And I think Bishop Myers said that earlier, uh, but also to equip them with the word, with apostolic doctrine uh, ground them in, in, in who we are and what we are. And then those opportunities just begin to present themselves. And, and those, those men and women, uh, begin to realize just how valuable they are to God's work. And so we, we've seen an amazing opportunity, you know, there. And then, you know, we, we, now we've got young men and women that are, are designing for Bible school and going to do that. Uh, but it first starts with an opportunity to serve and an opportunity to learn his work. Wow, that's so, that's so great. And, you know, me uh, being fortunate enough to be around Woodlawn quite a bit, uh, I can honestly say that, that there is a great group of, of young men and young ladies that are coming up in ministry there. And and it's a testament to, to what you guys are doing and cultivating that. And, um I, I really wanted to to talk more into that, and I wanted to ask Bishop Carney this next question. Uh, Bishop, uh, I believe you made the statement last time we talked. Some things, you know, are are you know caught rather than taught. So this is something that I wanted to ask you: What are some of the things that a young man serving his pastor, a young lady serving his her first lady? making themselves available in ministry, what are some of the things that can only be caught, but they can't be taught? Well, um, that is certainly a great question. And we know living a Christian life 
we got to be a, an example to those that's following us. And um, I have seen through the years many times uh, pastors reluctantly would not get close to some of the people that was really aspiring to ministry and wanting the ministry, but they live more of a private life and would not spend time seemingly with uh, those men and young ladies that had a desire for the work of God and the kingdom of God. And I just think uh, pastors must be very visible to people, particularly the people that is feeling a calling, a, a desire to work for God. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just a must that they, you give them the opportunity to be around you, to see you respond, not only in the good time, but in times of adversity. How do you respond to conflict? And, uh, and, and that's what I've always said. Uh, some things are called rather than talk. Uh, they got, if they can see you, how you respond and, and what, uh, makes you the person you are. Um, you can just look throughout the scripture. Um, they didn't do ministry alone. It was Paul and Barnabas. Okay. Paul and Silas. Barnabas and Mark, Paul and Timothy, um, Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. And why were they always together? Because uh, you look at the life of Paul, he was constantly uh, communicating, talking, and uh, was in fellowship with men that he was preparing for the next generation. So, it, it is just so important that they see us in action. Hmm. And when they see us in action, they don't know uh, if you are a true man of God and they can follow you and take on uh, uh, some of your strengths. Uh, I read the scripture today. Let me just share it with you. Paul understood that his ministry was building the church and making sure the church was left in good hands. When Paul wrote to Timothy from prison, it was his last charge to encourage Timothy to lead well. Paul wrote, and I quote, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others, I believe that was an, we would say an effective secession plan. Paul handed it, the baton off to those that he has spent time with. Mm. And Paul finished well. And that's one thing I want to be able to do is say, I'll finish. And if I don't pass the baton, if I don't somehow uh, get this truth into this next generation, I feel like I've been a failure. So we just got to be able to invest into this next generation so that they can be successful. 
Wow, thank you so much, Bishop. Such great wisdom. And uh, we want to give uh, a shout out to everybody who is on and watching us. If you have a question that you would like to have answered from Bishop or Pastor Jaron or Bishop or Pastor Myers, uh, submit that here on Facebook on the church's website where we are live. We'd be glad to answer those questions. And uh, Bishop Carney was just uh, talking about passing the baton and, and really the importance about passing the baton. And we're here with um, two generations of great men of God who have passed the baton down to the next generation. And Pastor Myers and and Pastor uh, Jaron here are, are two great men of God that are leading these churches um, in, in such excellence. So I want to ask this question to Bishop Carney, and then I want to ask to Bishop Myers. And let's start with Bishop Myers here first. What are some of the things that you did that made the transition so smoothly uh, going on to Pastor Myers? All right. There were some basic beliefs that I had that nothing can have two heads to it. You got to have just one head. Uh, I made my son one time an assistant pastor. Then later I made him the associate pastor. That was going toward being eventually the pastor. He said to me, dad, now that we, I am an associate pastor, does that mean that we're on equal par? I said, I said, it's sort of like a pilot and a co-pilot. I said, the pilot is in charge. The co-pilot is in second command. I said, so you're still in second command, not the head yet. But when I made him pastor, and when I, I didn't make him pastor, the people voted him in, and that's the way it should be always. Uh, he was elected by the people uh, to be the pastor. And when he was elected by the people to be the pastor, I told him, I said, you are going to be pastor 100%. You're pastor over all meetings. You're pastor over all the congregation. You're pastor over all finances. There's nothing that I am going to hold back. I said, now, I will not tell you how to run your job. If you ever want some information, I'm here for you to ask me, but I'll never come to you and say, here's what you need to do or this is what you should do. Because I respected the office of pastorship too much. And so that's the way we have always operated. And he runs. And once in a while, he'll call me and say, or get in touch with me or come in the office and we'll sit down and chat. And he'll say, Dad, what do you think about this? What do you think about what about that? And so forth. We'll discuss things. But as far as him taking the reins from the very get-go, I turned it all over to him. And you know what? He did a good job with it and everything. This next generation that's coming along, they'll do a good job. And I really believe with all of my heart that every church pastor was, will be needing to look for that next man that will take his place whenever he's ready to pass the mantle to him as well. Amen. That's so great. Uh, Bishop Carney, is there anything you'd like to add on to that about uh, transferring the baton onto the next man? Well, I say ditto to everything that the bishop just said and uh, everything he's he spoke about is absolutely it must be and uh, we realized that for transition to take place the timing has got to be right okay but we must understand that every major life change has a window of opportunity and I've seen so many churches miss that window of opportunity it's time for transition yes. but 
That's true. Senior pastor is not ready to give it to the younger man. And they miss that opportunity. And it can take that church for years getting over that. And it's not necessarily when the senior pastor is ready to do the transition. It's when his uh, successor is ready. And he, he has prepared himself for that moment. And, uh, and, and relationship is, is, is a, a, a must. There must be a continual good relationship between the two that are involved in this transition. And, and much could be said about that. Um, but the third thing I would, I would say is that the senior man has got to trust that man that he is handing the baton off to. If he don't trust him, if he can, if he don't support, he's got to become his major fan. And, uh, I, which, you know, the ideal situation is father, son. And thank God I was able to make, see that happen here, but that may not be the case in some situation, but those three things are still important. Timing, having a great relationship. And last of all, you got to trust that man that you have passed the baton to and become his greatest support. And uh, a couple of things I've always said to pastors and the bishop made mention of it a while ago, money. Okay. There's only one head and whoever got the purse controls everything. Financially, it's got to change. Okay. And uh, that, that, that is a, that is a must. And one of the things I, I did here, and I felt like it was a, a definite sign showing that the baton has been passed. I moved out of my office that I'd had for many years, ever since the new church had been built. And I told my son, this is your office. This is the pastor's office. I'm going to your office. I'm going upstairs. But just things like that can communicate so much to a church body that you are behind that man that you have passed the baton off to. And if you do it, I'm here to tell you, great things are in store for that church. Uh, Pastor Myers, uh, Bishop Myers, you said you wanted to add yes, something. Yes, I just want to say I, uh, I agree with what Brother Carney has just said 100%. He is exactly right. Everything he said is exactly right. There has to hey, be a Dylan, let me, let me. unity. Let me add this to it, Dylan. Uh, okay. Bishop Carney has, has often said this, and this is a little bit humorous, but at the same time, it's so true. The senior leader wants to leave when the people are crying, not when the people are clapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you wait too long, they're going to be clapping for them to get out of there. <laughs> and uh, I will say this, Bishop Lell, you know, this church has the utmost respect you know, for him and his position and his role. Uh, but he, back to what he said, like he didn't wait until he was ready. He was 66. He probably had a few more good years left in him, you know, but at the same time, he felt like I was ready and that was more important than him being ready to leave that office. Timing is everything. And uh, it is, it has worked out so well here locally as it has in Pompeii. And uh, the people, God's people, 
or worth it working out? It's got to be right. Wow, that's so great. Pastor Myers, is there anything you'd like to add on? I just want to say that if we get this this transition right as a church, that it is the church that benefits. Because now the church has the youth and the vitality and the vision and the drive of a young man, and they have the wisdom and the strength and the stability of an older man. And when you get this right and you've got those two pulling together, it is a tremendous boost for the church. And it's the church that benefits from it. I always remember my dad saying this, and I believe it's a lot of truth to it, that the the man who's retiring or the man who's passing the baton, that that man needs to have two things. He has to have security and he has to have honor. And if you give that, that, that older generation security and honor, then there is that confidence that they can pass it on to the next generation. Security a lot of times is having financial security and honor is there still needs to be a place for them to exercise their ministry. And the more you honor that past generation, the more the generation coming up will honor you. And you cannot go wrong honoring that past generation. The more you honor them, not only will people honor you, but God will honor you. And when God honors us, his presence is felt. And when his presence is there, he draws all men nigh. So I would just say it's, it, it requires a bit of trust and confidence, and sometimes it's not easy. My dad often said it's like turning a baby over. You're like handing a baby over. But if you can get it right, and it can be clearly defined what the roles are, and there's that trust, it's a beautiful thing for the church, and the kingdom of God grows and prospers because of it. And I've had the fortune of being able to speak at, at both churches represented here. And it's very obvious that the transitions have been very smooth, that the churches are growing, that the churches are flourishing, and that, you know, it's like it never missed a beat. It's just continually growing. And at the end of the day, it's all about the sheep. Yes. I mean, yes. we, we want That's to take it. people to heaven. That's it. And as a young man, I can I can come into, you know, you know, whether I'm at Woodlawn or I'm at Eastwind, and I can see that the sheep are doing well and that they're growing and that you're producing lambs and it's just a steady flow. And, and it's just, uh, it's great as a young man to see that there are, are such amazing leadership throughout the body that is, that is doing this right. And, um, I think we're going to go ahead and, and call this, this done. <laughs> it has been so rich and it has been so good. I want to thank Pastor Jaron and Bishop Carney uh, for joining us today. And of course, to Pastor Myers and Bishop Myers, what amazing wisdom that has been spoken here today. And I wanted to know if we could have uh, the bishops, and it, it, it may kind of uh, get a little clouded with the audio, but I wanted to know if Bishop Myers and Bishop Carney would pray over us in closing, and if we could just end this uh, with the elders uh, covering us. Yes. Our Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon us. We thank you, Lord, that your hand is upon your people. Yes. We ask you, Jesus, to reach out into yes. areas where that this message is going forth right now. Touch lives and hearts, God. Thank Save you, Lord. and save to bring them yes. unto believe it. We ask you, Lord, to uh, spirit, move. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Yes. 
power, your spirit, your grace, your love, your goodness, and all that you are to us. Give me the praise and glory for our time. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Praise you, God. Yes, all things. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Praise Jesus. Thank you. Well, we want to thank everybody for joining eChat tonight. Again, this has been so great. Thank you, Pastor Jaron Carney. Thank you, Bishop Carney, for joining us. And, of course, Pastor Myers and Bishop Myers. Uh, I said it once and I'll say it again. I think we can all say that we are leaving bettered by this e-chat tonight. So thank you, everyone, for joining. We love you and we appreciate you. And we will see you soon. Thank you, Dylan. We love you. We love Myers and we love East Wind. God bless you. We love you guys.